you can't change what's happened. The only thing you can control is how you deal with it. Riley Sager, Final Girls. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we have a special episode for you. Uh, we have the opportunity to speak with acclaimed New York Times bestselling author Riley Sager. Uh, we're discussing his novels and his love of horror on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening. We are here with the New York Times bestselling author of Final Girls, The Last Time I Lied, and the recently published Lock Every Door, Riley Sager. So Riley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. I have read all of your books. I just finished Lock Every Door and just absolutely loved it. And that is just, it still blows my mind. One, that people are reading my books, and and two, that that people like them. (laughs) I have the lowest self-esteem of any writer, I believe, and so... There's always this imposter syndrome going on where I'm like, you can't possibly like my book, can you? Really? And so it's always cool. We do. Um, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about Final Girls and the story itself, you know, is a big ode to the Final Girl trope in horror. So were you a fan of slasher movies growing up? Not growing up. It wasn't until college when Scream came along. Mm. And I'm dating myself, I know. But yes, <laughs> Scream happened and... I didn't consider myself a horror fan. I was always a Hitchcock fan. And, you know, I guess Psycho is horror, but The Birds is horror. But I, you know, I sort of considered them different things. Mm -hmm. And so when Scream happened, I just thought, for some reason, I desperately want to see this movie. And it was scary and funny and so smart. And it didn't talk down to the audience. It was... To me, it was just this wonderful roller coaster ride. And so after that, I then started to seek out the classics. I went back and watched Halloween and just fell in love with it. And and there was the that boom in the late nineties where there were all like the there was the urban legend and the I know oh, what yeah. you did last summer. Oh god, yeah. I all of them. Yeah. I went to all of them. And so that's kind of where where it started. I mean, I loved the 90s slasher. So do you have a favorite final girl, you think? No disrespect to Jamie Lee Curtis, but probably Sidney Prescott. That's understandable. Devin's hurt a little bit by that. Nancy. It's all with Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy Thompson, man. Freddy Krueger. I don't like those movies. 
I'm sorry. <gasps> oh no. I'm sorry. I I'll, I'll see myself out. <laughs> it's a common story. That's one thing I really loved about what Scream did for horror in general. It made it kind of meta. It made it self aware and brought out like a huge new audience to it. So it's 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 cool hearing you know how you yourself came to it from that that perspective. And I I still understood the jokes like. Without having seen these movies, I still knew what the references were, hmm. and and that shows that pop culture. I mean, um, horror just infiltrates pop culture. Whether you watch these movies or not, you know about Laurie Strode and you know about Freddy Krueger and Chucky. Oh, definitely. And so, with Final Girls, what was the first part of the story that came together, or the the thing that sparked the idea? It was Halloween. I was watching Halloween on Halloween, as one does, and just. It got me thinking about these slasher flicks and the final girls and how they always end on a pseudo happy ending. You know, mm-hmm. the, the final girl survives and hooray, but all her friends are dead. Yeah. She is traumatized for life. She's scarred physically, emotionally. And how does one deal with that? And 10 years later, not I, I didn't want it to be like, oh, and now the killer's back. I wanted it to be some other threat. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like the th- Quincy's past kind of blowing in to threaten to topple her carefully constructed existence. And once I sort of had that in mind, I just ran with it. And it was it was very fun to kind of create not my not a slasher flick, but sort of a sequel to a slasher yeah. flick right. that no one has ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. Yeah. Or when the final girl doesn't get killed off at the beginning of the sequel. <laughs> That's what happens in every Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I hated that. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of Friday the 13th and camp, I do want to ask if that is what influenced you to do a camp setting for the last time I lied. Oddly, the last time I lied was... It was inspired by two things. The, the plot of these girls going missing um, was definitely sort of picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, okay. I liked the idea of... Because the, that that book and the movie have so many layers. It's just... It's about their, their sexuality and this headmistress and just the not knowing of what happened to these girls. And it, it just struck me as being very ripe for a retelling in a, a newer modern way and the idea of the camp came from and i swear to god i'm not making this up the parent trap <gasps> yes i am so happy right oh, god, now. no <laughs> we did a camp episode and i told devin like how that is one of my favorite summer camp movies of all time uh... Uh, the original or the Lindsay lohan version I grew up with the Lindsay Lohan version. For me, it's Haley Mills all the way. There okay. you go. I can, I can I can palette that much better. Okay, I'm okay with this. So people hear that and they're like, "The Parent Trap." Really? I'm like, "Yeah." And the thing about the Parent Trap is, it's it's this family fun movie, and it's all happy and hijinks and Sue, but. It is literally like one incestuous relationship away from being VC Andrews. Like these parents don't tell them that they have a twin sister. I have, I've never considered that. Oh my god, it's it's all messed up if you think about it for like just like 
two seconds beyond like the just the plot. It's like this is messed up in every way yeah i mean your whole life has been a lie and like what kind of an arrangement is that it's like you take one i'll take one we'll just pretend they never existed yeah and then the girls just like switch places and they go back to their their parents and it's all lovey-dovey like oh hello dad and i would have been like dad you bastard what (laughs) What? like yeah why didn't you pick me (laughs) yeah exactly yeah, it is pretty dark when you think about it. I was going to say, it, it does actually sound like it should be a horror movie when you just look at the premise that way. <laughs> but it's not. Oh, my God. I'm I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to do it. I have a newfound love of the parent trap. Thank you, Riley. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> for the parent trap Oh, We got far away from that question. <laughs> um, but so, I, and I did think that summer camp with, with, campfire tales and ghost stories that just sort of added to the atmosphere of the whole book and so you take missing girls a la picnic a hanging rock put them in a parent trap summer camp tell some ghost stories that's just a great combination so oddly friday the 13th never like came into my mind Um, i did want to ask so you write thrillers that play with horror themes how do you feel about the distinctions between the horror and thriller genre i like that i'm sort of I have one foot in each of them. Mm-hmm. That's very fun to me. And it was completely unintentional. Like with when I came up with Final Girls, I was intending to write a psychological thriller. And then because of its subject matter, a lot of people sort of put it in the horror category. And I was really happy with that too. So it's nice to be, to be both. Best of both worlds. Um, but I do think there is... A distinction I always see that like thrillers are things that could actually happen or have happened in the real world. Like there might not be too many gone girl situations out there, but it's plausible. Whereas horror is to me something that is beyond the realm of normal everyday possibility and therefore it's more frightening. Okay, so the the paranormal element, the supernatural element, is what makes the distinction between the horror and the thriller. Yeah, but not just not just paranormal, but just the idea of like there's there's nothing particularly paranormal about Get Out. True, but it it is just on the just on the I can't think of a way to phrase it just. Over the edge of believability, like they're they're doing stuff with their brains, like they're they're you know transplanting brains, and so that sort of gives it a sci-fi horror aspect to it. And so that I do think it is appropriately labeled a horror movie. Okay, so also, well, this might be a weird reference. How about like the Human Centipede? <laughs> okay. Oh gosh. Um- <laughs> Because, I mean, technically, like, that that science doesn't work out. You can't link three people together like that and have them survive for a few days. They'd be dead within, like, a day, right? Right. So that that is a horror movie. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting... Yeah, I like that. So you have to suspend your disbelief more? I, I think so. Um, I always see it, like, and I say this a lot, and I honestly don't know if I came up with it or I read it somewhere. It sounds too good to be something I came up with, but I say that it... Horror is sort of there's a tear in the fabric of reality, just a little bit that anything can happen. I really like that distinction. Yeah, that is a good quote. <laughs> it's like just enough to not be in reality, but still familiar and still 
like conceivably our world, but not. Right. There's just it's just a little bit off of what could potentially happen in real life. So, Riley, Lock Every Door has a bit of a different setting than your other two novels. Uh, is there any specific reason um, for getting out of the woods for this one? I didn't want to repeat myself too much. I With with Final Girls and Last Time I Lied, they're very, very different books. But they're also very similar in that A Cabin in the Woods plays a very big part in both of them. Um, there's a flashback structure. There is a slightly unreliable narrator. And so I wanted to get away from all of that, lest people think that I was a one-trick pony. And so it was very intentional to just get out of the woods, go into the city, um, have most of it take place in this one single location, the Bartholomew, and have a narrator who is very trustworthy. She's not lying to us at any point. She might be confused by what's going on, but you know, considering what's going on there, that's that's pretty understandable. So those are my my rules that I kind of set out for myself when I was writing the book. And uh, the Bartholomew is that actually inspired by a real life building, or is it just completely fabricated? It's my fanciful, scary version of the Dakota. Because if people familiar with that area, <laughs> like I don't give an exact street address Mm -hmm. but just from the description of central park out the window of the bartholomew it's pretty much like the bartholomew is located like right where the dakota is located so so like a new yorker would know oh that yeah they would totally know and i i knew i couldn't use a bill a real life building like the dakota um for legal reasons and such so i had to create one from scratch and it was it was a a lot of fun to be honest (laughs) New name, new coat of paint, and all of a sudden you have a new building. Well, I imagine like a real life building wouldn't want to be accused of the stuff that's going on in there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and when I, when I got the name, the Bartholomew, I'm like, that's a perfect name for this because it's kind of old timey. It sounds kind of biblical. It's it's it, it just worked in many ways. And then I was terrified of, oh God, what if there's a real Bartholomew in Manhattan? And so I had to like make sure that there wasn't because yeah, no building would be associated with what goes on there. Oh no. <laughs> and I wanted to ask about the book's dedication. So the book is dedicated to Ira Levin. You want to tell us a little bit about that? This was my loving homage to Rosemary's baby. Um, I just, the book is phenomenal. The movie is phenomenal. And yeah. I really wanted to do my version of a similar story, not to replicate what he did or or remake what he did, but sort of take this idea of a young woman moving into this old, glamorous, sinister building with untrustworthy neighbors, encountering horrible things. That just really appealed to me as a writer to do that. And so... It was kind of like a love letter to Ira Levin because he would take these quite outlandish ideas yet give enough reality to them where they weren't so outlandish, where you could almost believe that these things were happening. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. look at Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives and 
even, you know, Sliver, which I can't say is a very good book at all, but it really captured the idea at its very earliest of being spied on and technology used to invade people's privacy. Yeah, I can definitely see all of those elements in the book. And one thing that I enjoyed about it was that I understood Jules's motivations. Like during the book at the beginning when they're describing everything and her situation, I was thinking, I would also take this opportunity. <laughs> I would totally do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I knew that because I've, I've seen enough horror movies, I, I, you know, read enough of these books and I know that readers would be at the first sign of trouble or weirdness. Readers would be like, girl, you get out of there. Mm -hmm. And, and I needed to come up with many reasons why she had to stay. And so one of them was her, you know, her financial situation, which was rock bottom. Definitely. Like it was one of those things. I'm like, this seems too good to be true. But at this point, like she doesn't have a lot of other options. So it felt very believable. Yeah, she really didn't. If I was in that situation, I'd, I'd take that job in a heartbeat. Um, I did have a question from one of our Patreon supporters. And we kind of mentioned a little bit in talking about the other books, but they want to know what some of your favorite horror movies or shows that have been an inspiration for writing books. Oh, yeah. Um, Halloween, Scream, Rosemary's Baby. I would, I would love to, I would love to be as brilliant as um, Ari Aster is. Like Hereditary messed me up. I loved and, it. <laughs> and I don't think I'd ever be able to write something as dark <laughs> as that, or as disturbing as that. Um, the Haunting of Hill House. That both the original film and the recent Netflix version, I loved. Mm -hmm. And there, there are some ideas that have already been taken. Um, the writer Ruth Ware, her upcoming book is sort of a variation on The Turn of the Screw. And it's so creepy. I loved reading it. And it's like, it, it is a, it's a modern retelling of the turn of the screw and just it's called a turn of the key so pretty on the nose there of a title <laughs> and our previous co-host rachel wanted to know what inspired your decision to write under a pen name i get asked this a lot because it it seems very cloak and dagger and very <laughs> mysterious and when people knew that riley sager was a, a, a pen name and when stephen king tweeted about final girls um it set off this whole weird chain of like a guessing game. And, and like I saw like there was there were Reddit forums trying to guess who Riley Sager was. Like it's, it's his wife, right? No, I bet it's one of his sons or it's and, and I'm like, no, it's just me, a dude in New Jersey sitting on my couch in sweatpants right now. Hi. But um, but the the answer is that publishing is weird. And I had published three books under my real name and they just didn't get any publisher support. Um, they didn't get any notice. Um, very few people read them. And so just the sales were really, really in the toilet, to be honest. <laughs> and I knew that I could keep writing books under my own name and 
it would be the same result. And I came up with the idea of Final Girls. Just it was the book I wanted to write, and it was sort of a new chapter of my writing career. And so I sent it to my agent, who loved it, and said, "This is going to be your big breakout, best thrilling, best-selling book." If we do it under a pen name. It was like a rebranding of sorts, right? Like your old name had a bit of a baggage from the previous releases and you want to separate from that. Exactly. Yeah. She, she said that, you know, quite rightly, you know, we send this out with your name on it. Editors, every editor is going to go and look at your past sales figures and treat it as a, you know, a, another book by this guy who hasn't sold very many books instead of, yeah, so it was, it was just totally like a fresh, clean slate. Let's start over and see what happens. And what happened is pretty cool. Yeah. I love hearing about the industry as much as I love hearing about books. Yeah, the, the industry is really hard to navigate and understand. And still, I, I don't quite understand half of what goes on or why. <laughs> um at this point, I just sort of do what my publisher tells me to, <laughs> and it's working out okay. So, I guess it brings me to this question: how How does one feel when they hear that Stephen King is talking about their book for the first time? It was just surreal in every way. One, because it was so unexpected. One, it was six months before Final Girls came out. I didn't know he had a copy. I still don't know how he got a copy. <laughs> and so the, the last thing you're expecting is to see Stephen King tweet about how great your book is. Like that just, I, that's something you never think would occur. Like if aliens landed in my backyard right now, I'd be expecting that as much as I expected, like this tweet from Stephen King. It just was <laughs> so utterly weird. And I didn't even know about it at first. It wasn't until a writer friend of mine sent me an email going, hey, I just saw Stephen King's tweet. Congrats. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and so I ran to Twitter and I looked and just at first there was like some jumping up and down and cheering. And then I needed to just sort of go outside and be alone. And I just I I'll admit like, yeah, I, 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 I cried a little. Just sort of this like it was like this cathartic like they they were joyful tears, but it's just like I didn't know how to process it. And so that was like the first thing was like just weeping with joy a little. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Oh, and I wanted to ask if there are any adaptations in the works for any of your books and if you're allowed to talk about them. There are. And I finally can. Um all three have been optioned. Oh, wow. Um, there's a Final Girls movie in development. Um, I don't know much. I don't know how far. I mean, I know there's a screenplay. They offered, they're like, would you like to read the screenplay? And I said, I'll pass because I just, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Oh, really? I, yeah, I, I just... I, in terms of all these adaptations, I'm sort of of the mind, I don't know how to do this. You guys do know how to do this. So go forth and create this thing and jump through the Hollywood hoops you need to jump through. And I wish you all the best. And if you have any questions, 
I'm here to answer them. With with Hollywood, is you, you never know if these things are ever going to get made. So while having them optioned is is awesome, and I'd love to see all three of them turn into something, I also know that the reality is that very often they don't mm-hmm. for so many reasons. And so, yeah, the final girls, there's a movie in development. Um, Last Time I Lied was... Um, optioned by um, Amazon to be um, turned into a TV show. And yesterday, (laughs) the big news was finally announced that um, Paramount TV and Anonymous Content have optioned Lock Every Door, and they're developing it into a TV series with some of the people who did True Blood. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And and that one's exciting to me because I do get to play a little bit more of a part in what happens. So that that's that's kind of exciting. So that one's I really hope happens because I'm excited to see. Like I know what they have in mind for it, and it's really cool. I wonder if they would film it at the Dakota. Then I'd finally be able to get inside. Like that's. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the Dakota, and one of my dreams is just to to be inside the Dakota at one point in my life. Man, for Final Girls, I just want a lot of shots of beautiful desserts. I knew I wanted Quincy to have like what kind of job would a Final Girl have? That's completely opposite of what you would expect. And so I thought baking blogger would be perfect because it's just <laughs> it's so pretty and fake and sweet, and it's just this mask that she has on. Oh, yeah, I loved that part of it. Now we do a just a quick segment, a quick this or that, where you choose one option or the other. So I know we talked about this earlier in your thoughts on these movies, but I do have to ask, Freddie or Jason? <laughs> Jason. Wow, I think that's a one. I think that's a first Yay. one for Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I never, I, I never found Freddy Krueger scary. I can't. I don't disagree. I, I'm, I do not disagree at all. So, just the, the man in the hockey mask, just with the machete, is is not saying anything. Is far more frightening to me. I do like Freddy as a character, but yeah, I think Jason's more intimidating. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Oh, wow, we have none for Pepsi so far. <laughs> that is not true. We have one for Pepsi. Did we? It's me. It's me. Okay. <laughs> all right dogs or cats dogs i'm allergic to cats so right there is okay so that was (laughs) stephen king's it original miniseries or 2017 remake i think we need to see the second part before we can truly decide that's true okay how about tim curry or peter skarsgård which pennywise skarsgård was pretty darn frightening um, true. I I can't have it a tie. I need to choose. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you need to choose. Tim Tim Curry because he's a legend. Thank you. You're right. All right, cool. That's the one I grew up with. He haunted my dreams for years. <laughs> um, cake or pie? Ooh, um, pie. Good choice. <laughs> and finally, iced coffee or hot coffee? Hot coffee. Always. I'm also a team hot coffee. Yeah, it's I love coffee. I love tea. I do not like iced tea at all. And I rarely, rarely have an iced coffee. 
even if it's like 100 degrees out. There's just something about a hot cup of coffee. Yeah, there really is. It's just it, it just soothing. And finally, we have our chilling obsession. So, Riley, is there anything in horror you've been enjoying lately? It's not horror per se, but it's about horror, and it is Losa Spookies on HBO. Okay, I have been debating whether to watch that. So what is your pitch to me to get me to watch it? It is just so much fun and so joyful. I I, I liken it as a reverse Scooby-Doo directed by Pedro Almodovar. What is it? A- it's, it's about, it's, it's in this unnamed um, Latin American country. And so I love like they, it's, it's subtitled. It's, it's in Spanish and it's subtitled in English, but then when they're speaking English, it's subtitled in Spanish. And it's just, it's a group of friends that sort of fall into a business of making things seem haunted. Oh, interesting. So unlike Scooby-Doo, where they're, you know, they're unmasking people in rubber masks and being like, oh, and this floating thing was done by levers. You know, it's, they're the ones putting on the mask and doing the floating with the levers. So the anti-Scooby gang. Yes. Cool. It's, it's done in such a deadpan kind of surreal way that it's, it's almost like a telenovela. <laughs> and it, it just, it's, I've never seen anything like it. And it is just, it's delightful. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay. So I will have to watch that now. You, I'd never heard of it, but you definitely got my attention. <laughs> yeah it's on hbo but it's not one of like their big things so i i think they're just sort of like this is here if you want to watch it <laughs> we'll advertise season three of divorce instead and so it's it's a shame all right so we will get more people to watch Los of spookies hopefully yes <laughs> it's so good so my chilling obsession is a movie that came out this year. It's currently available on Amazon Prime and it's called Braid. And the simple synopsis that's on IMDb is two wanted women decide to rob their wealthy, psychotic friend who lives in the fantasy worlds they created as children. To take the money, they have to partake in a deadly, perverse game of make-believe. And this movie is a little off the wall, <laughs> but I absolutely loved it. So yeah, essentially that's what it's about. It's about these two friends, Petula and Tilda, and they're on the run and they owe a drug dealer money. So they have a a friend who lives in a giant mansion by herself in upstate New York. And she they know that she'll give them the money, but they just have to go on with this game of make-believe that they created when they were children where Daphne that's the friend that lives in the mansion and Petula is her daughter and Tilda is a doctor and so it's this like very high stakes game there's set rules that they have to go by so everyone must play and no outsiders allowed this movie had so many gorgeous scenes. There's a lot of the imagery that's like kaleidoscopic almost, and you can see that a little bit on the poster, but I loved this movie. It was full of unlikable characters, and I love movies that explore darkness in women and complicated female friendships and, you know, in this case, a very strange dynamics. There's a little bit of like a gothic sensibility with these women running around this like giant house, and 
I don't think this is a movie everyone's going to love. The ratings on this are all over the place. And I will say this is something that because you're dealing with, you know, you're constantly like coming in and out of this like make-believe game. It does play with like what is reality. And I don't know. I just like absolutely loved it. Like I said, it's on Amazon Prime. And that was Braid. And that brings me to my chilling obsession, which is going to be another video game. Um, Steph, you did you play Nintendo when you were a kid? Like 64? No, Nintendo. Do you know the game Duck Hunt? Yes, I did okay. play that. Well, my chilling obsession this week is a game called Duck Season. Um, it's a game that came out in 2017 for VR only. Um, it just got released in June for regular PC, which means I was actually able to play it now. Uh, so this is, it's 1988. And you were a kid, your mom comes home, and she has rented the game Duck Season. It's a one-night-only rental. And you are pumped. So you put it in, you play it, and in-game, you like it's like a VR version of Duck Hunt. It has the dog, it has the ducks, It's the, the screen on the bottom is all the same, so it's literally, you're playing a VR version of Duck Hunt. Um, sounds kind of innocent until you get further into it. Uh, this is a chilling obsession because the dog is not an animated, like, bipedal dog. It's literally a guy in a suit, and he's creepy as all hell. And as you binge through the story, as you play through uh, multiple rounds of Duck Season, um, the lines between reality and, and the video game kind of blur. And without going to spoilers, um, let's just say the dog is a little more sinister than he appears to be um it's one of the creepiest games i've played in a long time it's very short it's very affordable and it's amazing and if you've ever played duck hunt you know you wanted to shoot that dog so many times (laughs) so so many times and you can do that here you literally take your rifle and you shoot him it's amazing but yeah, it's literally probably one of the creepiest games I've played in the past couple of years. So I'm giving it my highest recommendation I can for a video game. Um, and that's my chilling obsession, which is Duck Season. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much. All right, it's book club time. New month, new book. And this month was a Patreon pick. And so this month we had a choice of four novellas and our Malevolent Spirit or $5 Patreon supporters went and voted for the book this month. And they voted for, drum roll please, Blinky by Keelan Patrick Burke. It sounds good and it'll be a bit of a respite after the tome that was assigned last month (laughs) i have apologized to the patrons and let me apologize to the listeners in general that i was a little unaware of how long no one gets out alive is but i don't regret picking it because it was an okay book. yeah i'm really excited to read this um i really enjoy keelan patrick burke as a writer and this is one i've been wanting to check out so i'm excited to check it out with everyone and see what everyone's thoughts are on this a synopsis for blanky is in the wake of his infant daughter's tragic death steve brannigan is struggling to keep himself together estranged from his wife who refuses to be inside the house where the unthinkable happened and unable to work he seeks solace in an endless parade of old sitcoms and a bottle of bourbon 
until one night he hears a sound from his daughter's old room, a room now stripped bare of anything that identified it as hers, except for her security blanket, affectionately known as Blanky. Blanky, old and frayed, with its antiquated patchwork of badly sewn rabbits with black button eyes who appear to be staring at the viewer. Blanky, purchased from a strange old man at an antique stall selling baby clothes at a discount. The presence of Blanky in his dead daughter's room heralds nothing short of an unspeakable nightmare that threatens to take away what little light remains in Steve's shattered world. Because his daughter loved Blanky so much, he buried her with it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, very dark. But mm-hmm. very high ratings. This is a a favorite among Keelan Patrick Burke fans. This is actually going to be my first Keelan Patrick Ooh, Burke. I'm excited to see what you think of him. <laughs> Look, I'm actually in this. I'm actually kind of excited about the length of it. Um, not so much because we just read a tome, but I find um, what I learned from the book club when we did the short story episode or the short story live show how. It, I, we get so much conversation out of the smaller offering because there's so much more to dissect. With No One Gets Out Alive, there was so much, it was hard to kind of compress it into a single show. So I'm pumped for the conversation around this oh, one. Oh, yeah. That is available on Amazon if you want to join in. And um, we, of course, as always, have the Goodreads group available for you to join in. I'm, I'm not going to separate it into chapters because it's fairly short so just when you're done reading the book you can go up there and see what everyone's thought of the story and chime in with your thoughts and have a discussion with everyone yeah so our the live show that we put on at the last sunday of every month uh that is for the patrons um but you know to participate in the book club all you have to do is pop over to goodreads um people are in there chatting it up uh sharing their thoughts and it's just an all-around fun time for everyone join us Join us, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and as was mentioned in a previous episode, we have started um, myself and Rachel, our previous co-host, and a few other people on the book reviewing horror side of YouTube, known as BookTube, are doing a read-along for the summer. And so for this month, we are reading Kill River by Cameron Rubik and Anya Alborn's I Call Upon Thee. And so if you want to join in with that, you can type in Bloody Beach Read-Along on Instagram or Twitter, and it should connect you to everything that's going on. We have an account on Twitter if you want to follow along. In August, we will be reading Kill River 2 by Cameron Rubik and Krista Carmen's short story collection, Something Borrowed, Something Blood Soaked. So if any of that sounds good and you want to join in on the read-along, feel free to do so. We all are on social media. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. We did have some new five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts that I was very excited about. Yay. Yay. Yay for five-star reviews. So the first one is Spectacular and Spooky from MBB0711. 
Started listening a month ago and couldn't help but binge the backlog of episodes. I love how the hosts have diverse interests in horror and give great reviews. Love this podcast. Thank you. Next one is Horror Fans Rejoice from Oops a Poodle. I have found so many great books through this podcast. Love it. And very useful podcast, five stars from Horror Lions, knowledgeable hosts that will add to your to-be-read pile with books you may have never found otherwise, which is what we aim to do. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave those reviews. They really do mean a lot to us and they help us out immensely. I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. Just spelled normally. And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at Insomni Reads. Or you can find me uh, streaming horror games on Twitch at Indie Insomniac. Or at Indie Insomniac. And, and a big thanks again to, to Riley Sager for giving us his time and speaking with us today about his work. Yes, thank you so much. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.